Oh, Folding Fitted Sheets, where we talk about all of the wrinkles and creases of parenting. Hi, Alyssa. Hi, Jen. How are you today? I'm pretty good. Not exhausted this time? No. Woke up to snow? Yes. And we're supposed to get more and more and more. And it's supposed to go down to minus 24? Yeah. This week? But. Yes? Rebounds on the weekend. (laughs) Rebounds. So. So it goes to what? Like three degrees. Oh, yeah. And sunny. Thank goodness for Chinooks. Yeah. Love it. I'm hoping the snow doesn't last long. We get fooled into thinking it's spring. Yeah. And then we get a nasty little reminder. Yeah. And sometimes that reminder is in August. Yeah. We're never really that far away from winter. No. It does feel like that at times. Yeah. Last night we were talking uh, at supper about uh, thunder snow. Yeah. Hasn't it been in like the last couple of years that that happened yeah, for the first time? Yeah, I think time? it's always been on like the East Coast. I don't think we get it here. I feel like we did though in the last couple of years. And really? I was like, what is this? I don't recall, but the idea of thunder snow is like on the same level as like Sharknado for me. <laughs> <laughs> No, I'm sure it did because I was super confused. Interesting. And I thought like they were out to lunch. I'm like, that's not a thing. Like you guys are crazy that you're forecasting. Thunder snow. Thunder snow. Yeah. But I'm pretty sure it did happen. Interesting. Yeah. I don't know. And then we were talking about they prefer rain, obviously. And my son says, yeah, you know, like when it's like 35 degrees, I'm like, Okay, well, first off, it's regularly not 35 degrees here. And where are you living, <laughs> son? And, and then you get like a, a sudden rain in the afternoon. I'm like, well, that sounds fantastic. Rain in the fall is worrisome because it can turn to snow. Well, rain now would rain be very worrisome. Rain in the spring is problematic yeah. because it could turn to it's snow. It's really just the summer where we're like, okay, it's yeah. going to rain and be wet and not icy. Yeah, well, that's exactly it. And then we get rain and it just doesn't seem to stop. Mm-hmm. sometimes that was like a couple weeks ago when it was snowing yeah and it was like a downpour like what i would call like a downpour rain shower only it was snow right and then all of a sudden it was this ridiculous amount it was so beautiful and sunny last week and there was some snowflakes falling down mm-hmm. like that is really cool mm-hmm. the sky is all clear it's nice and sunny it's not very cool and looking today no today it's a little it's Gross. a little gloomy-ish yeah I don't like it. I don't it. love that either. I don't like it. I keep saying I need to move, but Where? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Somewhere warm. I really would not miss winter. No, me neither. Ever. Even at, when you're like, oh, that's so, so pretty at Christmas. I don't fucking care. Like, I'm good with a brown Christmas. I'm good if I'm like surrounded by palm trees. Mm-hmm. I'll decorate a palm tree for Christmas. Right. I don't need the snow. Would to you be. miss seasons? No. Mm. No, I wouldn't. No. Summer is just like moderately nice. No. All the time. 28 All degrees. That's like Hawaii, I think. Oh I my think God. Hawaii is like 25 degrees year round. Yeah. Maybe that's where I'll go. Not a bad place to land. Don't know what the hell I would do, but you know. Surf. You'd become oh, a yeah, professional surfer. Yeah, because I'm such a water person. <laughs> I like to be near it, not in it. <laughs> I'll watch people surf. You will be a surf critic. Yeah. I'll watch people surf while I drink my Mai Tai. 
Is a Mai Tai a Hawaiian drink? It is today. <laughs> Perfect. Sounds Hawaiian. Excellent. Yeah. Wonderful. So what are we uh, yammering about today? I thought we could maybe get into sort of the whole discipline versus punishment mm. thing. Do we have enough time to cover discipline versus punishment? No, I don't think we have enough time to go into things too detailed, mm. um, like with strategies and things. Well, we'll and do scenarios. That. Yeah, maybe we'll talk about a couple different, but just yeah. sort of the basic difference between discipline and punishment, because I think the first thing that pops into my mind is when you and I used to do a workshop regularly and... One of the first questions we'd ask them in session one is when you hear the word discipline, what comes to mind? Right. And it was always interesting to me that a lot of sort of negative words would crop up. Mm -hmm. um, and quite often people would say punishment. Yeah. So they would equate the two terms. Yeah. And I still think when people hear the word discipline, it's this very sort of serious, stern mm -hmm giving your child a good talking to, whatever it might be. Yeah. So we would get words like punishment, like timeout, like spanking, like consequence. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to think of some of the other terms that would come up. And then not all the time, quite often we would have somebody in the group saying teach, to teach. So they knew the meaning. Or guide. Or guide, yeah. right? Yeah. And that's that's what it means, right? We're, we're guiding, when you're disciplining your child, we're essentially teaching them or guiding them mm -hmm. what we want them to do right? instead of probably what they just did do mm -hmm. <laughs> that was not acceptable or not appropriate. Right. Whereas punishment, mm -hmm. intention is very different. The intention generally in punishment is not to teach, but it's more worded in, I'm going to teach you a lesson. Yes. And it comes from a place of, quite often, frustration, mm -hmm. anger. Mm -hmm. You, child, made me feel bad. Therefore, I must make you feel bad in order for you never to do this again. Right. It's fear-based. Yeah, fear-based. And like I said, it just comes from a place of, of emotion, like strong emotion. Right. And that's really what it's full of emotion versus... What do I want to teach my child? Right. You have to take the emotion out of it. And that's super easy to do. Super easy. In fact, <laughs> I you never just flip the switch. Yeah. Turn them off to the side. Yeah. Yeah. Deal with the situation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's why I always said I can parent other people's children all day long. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to your own kids, mm -hmm. like emotion is obviously there because you love them. Right. And you know you're responsible for how fucked up or not fucked up they're going to be. For how much therapy they will need. As adults. As adults, yes. Yeah. So yes, obviously I was tongue in cheek when I said it's easy to take the emotion out of it. But that is really the goal is to figure out what you want to teach your child versus how badly do I want to make you feel because you embarrassed me, made me angry, made me yeah. frustrated, hurt my feelings. Yeah. Right? Yeah, and I, I do think that a parent doesn't typically go in to the day thinking, okay, well, I'm going to have to yell at them or scream at them or give them timeouts at least 10 times to get through this day. I don't think that a parent wakes up, contrary to what a child may think, wakes up and goes, how can I ruin my kid's day today? No, absolutely not. 
And I think that most parents who are aware that there is a difference between discipline and punishment and have really their children's best interest at heart beyond what's inside their home, Mm -hmm. right? So what the kids are looking like outside in groups and schools and preschools and playing with their friends at playdates or whatever, they have the intention of being a better person than they often end up being, a better parent than they often end up being throughout the day. Right. And it's like you said, we just get wrapped up in whatever it is that we're feeling in that moment. So whether it's, it's often comes from frustration. So somebody isn't listening to the instructions being given or they're doing something that you know that you've mentioned before shouldn't be done and it seems like it's a intentional behavior to try and get on your nerves. So contrary, you know, to what I just said about parents waking up and wanting to ruin their children's day, children don't wake up wanting to ruin their parents' day either. No. Yeah, it's very difficult to manage emotions of a toddler when you can't manage your own emotions. Yes. So when you said that, it just reminded me of a quote. Oh. So it's Deborah McNamara. So she wrote a book called Rest, Play, Grow, Making Sense of Preschoolers. Love the book. Recommend it if you feel like looking it up. So in the book, at one point she puts, there is nothing like the force of an immature child to test the maturity level in a parent. Fair. So true. Yeah, absolutely. So true. And I've done it myself. I mean, I used to be quite a yeller, not from the get-go, but that was my once I'd reached a point. Right. Then I was yelling and I hated it. Uh, but again, emotion was playing a huge part in this. And there were points even where I'm in the moment and thinking like, you're acting like a jackass. Like you've completely stooped to the level of your preschooler right now. But the problem is, is your brain doesn't care because your brain in that moment has flipped, Right to the your limbic systems you're totally in the emotional part of your brain and the thinking part is completely shut off right so the hope is that you can prevent yourself from getting sort of to that breaking point or at least having a plan so that it's like muscle memory at that point you've got a plan you've practiced the plan so that when you do hit your breaking point you can be like, okay, I had this plan. Your brain will be like, remember you had this plan. Yeah, no, and that's a very valid point. So at the beginning when we were talking about maybe not being able to discuss every scenario, yeah, you don't have to have a different plan for every scenario. No. You can very easily have the same three or four step plan that you can apply to every situation, to stop instructions, to start instructions, to whatever the circumstance is. Mm -hmm. And really step one is always to regulate yourself. Right. That's always step. Well, step one is to have the plan, I guess. That's always step one is to come up with a plan. But then step one of the plan is you need to get yourself in check. You need to be regulated or this plan is not going to work. Right. And then that's when you end up getting one kid yells, you yell, kid yells louder or doesn't listen, so you get louder, you, you start to see that that type of interaction happening, and then finally somebody loses their mind, and then the kid you know, does what the thing is mm-hmm. that's being asked. But who wants to get to that level ever? 
mm-hmm. or the child. You know, parents do use timeouts a lot. Yes. Which again, we can get into that a little bit, I guess. That's it's not really a form of discipline because you're not really teaching them anything. Right. And then you get the child who's like, well, I'm not sitting here. So now it turns into a chasing game. Yeah. Around your two minutes starts all over again. Yeah. Yeah. And you're just now spending half an hour trying to get your kid to sit in this time out. Mm -hmm. And who at the end of this half hour is even going to remember what the hell the original problem was to begin with. Right. So yeah, I don't know. We can talk about timeouts for a second, I guess, um, in that it's really about using it we we talked about in our workshop using it in a way that a sports team would use it um in that the plan is going awry the day's going awry so in a in a sports team though if the plan's going awry we call a timeout the coach brings the group in gets everyone to kind of take a deep breath calm down and go over what the plan is and then everyone goes ahead and hopefully carries out the plan so the idea is to use it in a way it's usually more for the parent, yeah. right? So you're the one who kind of needs the time out mm-hmm. to collect yourself. Right. So take a deep breath, walk around, walk to a different room, mm-hmm. close yourself in the bathroom for a minute mm-hmm. and calm yourself down. And if you're using it with your child, it's not isolating them and putting them in a spot to think about what they've done. Cause come on, that's not going to happen. It's staying with them. So a time in, we've heard that term used before, and some people listening might have heard that before. It's really co-regulating. It's about Mm co-regulation so that you both now can get to a place where you're calm and emotions aren't running as high, and then you can talk about what happened. Right. Because if you're at the point where you might need to put your toddler or preschooler in a timeout, they're beyond the point typically of being able to converse in a way that is productive on either way, that the child isn't communicating and you're not going to communicate. So when you put your kid in time out and you say, here, you need to stop and think about this for the next two minutes or three minutes or however long the parent has predetermined this child needs to sit and think about the thing, they're not going to stop and think about it, but they're also not in a, in a regulatory state. Right. And the whole point of doing a time in or taking a break is to help that child learn how to regulate. So when you're talking about co-regulation, yes, we can say that we're going to regulate together, but the child needs to see you learn how to regulate as well. Exactly. And that's where that comes from. So yes, taking a small break is a great idea. Walking away, going to the bathroom, if you're really in that state that you need to be out of sight, but even stopping, you know, putting your hand on the counter and audibly taking loud breaths to help calm yourself down is going to be noticed by your child. Mm -hmm. And they're going to go, oh, they were yelling. They stopped yelling. Now they're doing this funny breathing thing. Why do they sound like that? Now they're talking and they're not yelling anymore. So they start to put that together. Mm -hmm. But it takes a lot of practice. It's extremely difficult to do if it's not something that you yourself as a parent are practiced at. And yeah, if you if you are in a state where you know you're going to spank your child, mm-hmm. grab them, start screaming at the top of your lungs, I still say like it's better than like if you need to walk away, absolutely, like walk away. Yeah. Make sure your child's in a safe place and like take a minute. But yeah, if you're just starting to kind of like, okay, my blood's starting to boil a little bit here. 
your child might start, might be overly excited or getting upset. So I talk about us flipping our lids, but they quite likely are also in that state. So no teaching is going to happen in that scenario. That, that kind of led me to the thought of teachers in general, right? Like if you walk into a classroom and the teacher is yelling and screaming Mm -hmm. and the kids are going berserk, like nothing is going to be taught in that particular lesson or whatever. So yeah, stop and think about teachers. Like you are the teacher in your house. Unfortunately, it's a 24-7 job. So you don't get... There's no union you can join? No. And I mean, teachers too in schools don't really get many breaks throughout the day. It's like if you want to eat, you need to eat at 1020 and you need to pee at 3. Like it's... It's similar, but yet you do get to go home at the end of the day. Right, you get to leave the 30 students behind yeah. and go to your own if you have yeah. them. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. But yeah, you're the teacher in your house. So think about teachers, like I said, in the classroom. Mm-hmm. And what characteristics do you think make a good teacher? Right. And I'm hoping you're not thinking about things like, well, they should belittle the kids and they should make them feel stupid and they should right. make them feel bad about themselves. Clearly, we would never answer that. Right. That's the same with us. Yeah. We need to be, we want our children to be respectful. Mm-hmm. Therefore, we need to treat them with the same respect. Right. When you're talking about teachers who, you know, when you think about a teacher, the, the way that you'd want them to, to teach your child, I can think about a teacher that I liked the way taught me. Right. And I'm fairly certain that most everybody would have a teacher like that. Did you have a teacher like that? I 100% had a teacher like that. Yeah? Yeah. And I was very fortunate to have him in grades five and six. Oh. So I had him for grade five, and then the following year, he became one of the grade six teachers, and I got to have him again. And I was so excited because he was hilarious, and he knew how to connect with each and every one of us. Right. As a person. Yeah. He knew us individually. He was firm, but fair. Um, We knew where we stood. And we also knew when we crossed the line. And it was like, oh, 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 we went too far with that. And then we were kind of back on track, right? But it really was his ability to connect with us individually as people. And really the, the academic material was secondary. Right. But he was able to put us in a place where we were ready to learn. Right. And able to learn. Yeah. You know that saying, um, and I don't know if it's so common anymore, but it definitely was when I was like in my teens and getting a job. And they're like, you know, you leave your outside life at the door. And when you're at work, you're at work. And it's like, how does anybody possibly do that? I don't know. Yeah. So I'm just thinking about like when you go to school. Yeah. If you're having a really shitty morning... And like, so now I'm speaking, you know, POV of the child. So I didn't want to have that cereal for breakfast, but there was my only option. And then I got, you know, I asked for other, maybe probably didn't ask, but like demanded and I didn't get it. And so now my day has started off kind of crappy. And then I was pouting and I didn't put my jacket on properly and I didn't grab my backpack and, oh, I don't know where my boot is. And so my day has started off really crappy. And so now I'm walking into school with already having had, in my mind, you know, a whole 
crap load of shit happened before school mm-hmm. even started. And then I was supposed to just sit down and sit and learn for the next bunch of hours. So if you had a teacher who was able to help you release that and prepare you for whatever the next stage is, that can make it a huge impact. And I think that that's where I was with my teacher. And mine was not grade five or six. Mine was in kindergarten. And the impact that she had was like, yes, there was home life and there was things outside of school. And then there was school. And she made school so exciting. And I felt like a real individual. And I felt like I had opinions that mattered. And my my I, I had value. Right. And that made school fantastic. Yeah. yeah. And so, yes, it was kindergarten. There wasn't a lot of learning, per se. Well, well, know, there's like, a lot of learning in the social-emotional piece, sure. right? But, I mean, you know, academically-wise. But you're still not in a place to play duck, duck, goose in a way that isn't overly competitive or angry or you're getting frustrated because you didn't win. If you're already coming in with all of these other, you know, this other baggage, right? Right. And so she really took opportunities with each kid and me specifically. I mean, I was five. I wasn't really that aware of what her impact is, you know, was on all the other kids. But I know that if I was starting to get frustrated, she helped me identify that. Right. And help me work through it. She didn't get mad at me because I was frustrated. She recognized that I was having honest feelings and maybe I still was carrying some of that stuff, you know, that had happened exactly. in the morning or whatever, but it didn't impact the way that she felt about me. And I thought that had such a positive impact, you know, and that's a teacher that I saw five days a week for half a day, mm-hmm. right? And for one year and have that much of an impact. So if we take that perspective and say, this person I was only with for what, 20 hours a week, maybe not even, and and had such a positive impact on me. Now as a parent, how can I help my child feel that same way? I mean, obviously that's not possible because I'm with them for more than 20 hours a week, yeah. but there are moments in the, the, you know, however many hours are in seven days, quick math, you want to do it? 24 times seven? Yes is eight carry the two <laughs> so 24 7 <laughs> just wait i just about have it what did we say again 24 times seven okay 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 24 pen is 168 hours yeah so in 168 hours and okay well minus you know 10 sleeping yeah 10 a day for sleep if your child sleeps 70 <laughs> So, you know, 200 hours a week-ish, you could have that type of impact on them where they feel valued, they feel heard, they feel like an individual who has opinions that matter and it helps to build their confidence. So when they do get into school, the teacher doesn't have to do that much work with them right. to make them feel that way. Right. That's uh, probably just over a year ago, right? I did that little post it was like little video on our website and it was about school readiness mm-hmm. and the point of it was you're not you don't need to be worried so much about the abc's one two threes colors shapes um Daily. cutting how much a stamp costs <laughs> all of that type of stuff when your child yeah. goes to kindergarten yeah. They need to be in a in a place where they're again ready to learn right. so it's not really school readiness it's 
in a state of regulation, they're regulated so that they are actually ready to learn. So it's that social emotional piece and they're learning it at home and how, how you deal with your partner, how you deal when you're feeling upset and how you deal with them when they do misbehave, when they do something that you're not that thrilled about. Right. So you were talking about how that teacher made you feel too. Mm-hmm. And that kind of reminded me of our favorite Barbara Colorosso. I have to take off my glasses. One moment, please. It's because she's an old lady. I'm old <laughs> and I can't read on my phone. Do you want me to hold it over here for you? Or? Yeah, if I get you to hold it across <laughs> the desk, perhaps then I can see it. But she came up. So Barbara Colorosso wrote books, uh, several books. <laughs> One of them is Kids Are Worth It. Yes. And then a video we use, which is very dated, but not the information's relevance, just the production quality and clothing, hairstyles, etc. Yeah, style is... Yeah, is dated. But yeah. the information will never be timeless. irrelevant. It's timeless. timeless. It's timeless. Yes. And that was called Winning at Parenting Without Beating Your Children. Mm-hmm. We love it. So she came up with, over the years, three basic tenets when we're talking about parenting and discipline. So the first one is kids are worth it. So she puts, I believe they're worth our time, energy, and resources to help them become all they can become. 100%. I agree with that. Well, I agree with her and everything she says. But anyway. (laughs) Second, I won't treat them in a way I myself would not want to be treated. If I wouldn't want it done to me, I'm not going to do it to a child. Yeah. So that's kind of like that golden rule, right? Treat others how you would like to be treated. And the third, if it works, so you've got a strategy that works, it must leave my dignity and the child's dignity intact. Not just if it works or appears to work, but does it work and leave both of our dignity intact? Right. Because if it doesn't leave our dignity intact, then it is punishment, no matter what you want to call it. And I think that's a big one because I think sometimes... Children are viewed as our responsibilities, which they are, but I think sometimes we view them as lesser beings. Sure. Easily controlled. Manipulated. Easily manipulated. Yeah. Yeah. Physically, you can move them from one place to another, right? Yeah. And I think we forget, like, they have the same feelings as us. Right. I would be pissed if I had a coworker or employer mm-hmm. ream me out for a mistake I made. Right. Even if I did make it before. And yeah, I think we do have to remember they're not lesser beings for sure. They are developmentally very different. And thankfully. Thankfully, right? Mm-hmm. But they are they, they they haven't learned all they need to learn. And they are going to screw up and they're gonna do the same thing over and over. And yeah, it's gonna feel frustrating, but which remember they learn just like us through repetition. Right. So although it can be tiring to, you know, feel like you're saying or doing the same things over and over, mm-hmm. that is eventually how they're going to learn is if you're consistent with it. Well, and I think too, I mean, speaking developmentally, if your child isn't pushing back a little bit, they're not really getting the full opportunity to grow and become... No who they really could be. If they're not pushing limits, your limits, and if they're not pushing their own limits, then when they are free out in the world as tweenagers or teenagers, we don't know where those limits are. 
And you can't just go and pick them up and physically move them from whatever thing you don't want them to be doing. So what do you, what do you do? Like, I, I know you don't want a child who's like constantly questioning you no. because that's super frustrating. It is. But a child who is questioning you is going to be so much better off later on in life. Well, and that goes to that whole teaching them how to think and not what to think, right? Oh, you who don't said want that? who said that? That's Barbara Colorado. Yeah, because you don't want them being blindly obedient mm-hmm. because then they become teenagers who are blindly obedient. You don't want them to be blindly obedient as teenagers because the major influence to teens are other teens. It's their oh, peers. Their peers, yeah, absolutely. So now their peers doing something. You don't want them to be a follower. Right. You want them to then question and say, no, that's stupid. I'm not doing that. Yeah. Unfortunately, that means when they were younger, they probably questioned you. Yeah. And you probably were right in your thinking and what you were telling them to do or that, right. whatever. But yeah. then how were you teaching them that you were right? Right. Were you saying, do it anyway because I said so? Or yep. do it or I'm going to smack you or whatever it is right or were you working through you know problem solving steps and calmly talking to them and explaining things or well and then you have so you have yes both of those options you also have the third option of parents who will let their kid do anything Mm. yeah and we talked about that in one of our other episodes right you want to find out what the consequences i'm not going to tell you to stop sticking the fork in the plug anymore do Mm -hmm. it Stick the fork in the plug and find out what happens. Yeah. Bet you won't do that again. Yeah. Well, and that's abusive too. It, I mean, yes. Stick your hands on the hot stove. It's, it's, yeah, you're literally risking their safety. Yeah. When you do know better, and yes, it's frustrating, but there's also things that you can do to alleviate that. Show them videos on electrocution. Show them how electricity works. Make static electricity with a balloon and distract them that way while you're teaching them something, right? Like there's, there are other ways around that, but there is that piece as well where people mm-hmm. are, where parents are like, well, you know, they'll learn. They just won't do that again. Well, he never did that again. Climbed upon the shelf and fell off. Didn't do that again. I mean, maybe he won't do that again. I myself had a kid who regularly pushed his physical limits Right. Contrary to how I had suggested and redirected and spoke with and literally caught him as he was midair launching (laughs) off of a bookshelf. (laughs) Like, there are those kids and you just have to be on like high alert all the time. But I wouldn't let him willingly hurt himself. Yeah, see what happens. He did hurt himself and still tried to do it again, thinking that, okay, well, maybe it was because I did this. Mm Mm-hmm. And so I'm going to try doing it slightly different and see if I get a different result. So, I mean, that's also crazy frustrating. Frustrating. Super frustrating, actually. (laughs) And exhausting. And it took away from the other kids because I was constantly then having to, like, intervene with him. To make sure he was safe. To make sure that he wasn't bouncing his head off of the floor. Yeah. Because the thing that he thought might work didn't work. So when when you were talking about how we would do workshops with parents specifically about promoting positive discipline in their homes. Mm -hmm. And you would ask them, describe to us what discipline means. And they would have these answers. And I swear some of them had, you know, Google pulled up on their phones underneath and they were repeating this. But I find that we generally had two types of people in the class. Yep. 
one was a parent who wasn't doing things the way that they wanted to be doing them and were right. looking for strategies and tools how to change and it. figure out exactly how to change. And the other one was a parent who had all the answers and yet their children still weren't behaving. So we had parents who were there looking for instruction on how to help themselves because they had the self-awareness. Right. They understood that what they were what they what they were doing wasn't working and they wanted to figure out another way. And then we had parents who were there because they needed help on figuring out how to control their kids' behavior. And that was the outlook that they looked on it. It wasn't them. Right. It wasn't the parent who needed the help. Right. It was they needed help figuring Fixing out how their to control kid. their child. Fixing the child. Fixing their child. Yeah, absolutely. I 100% agree with that. Yeah. Um, yeah, that they didn't they didn't see the cause and effect relationship no. is that No. And then that's what we tried to teach them too, right? Like you can't change. We talked about this in temperament. You can't change someone's inherent temperamental characteristics. Right. However, if you change your reaction to them and to their behavior, that's automatically going to change how they then react. You're absolutely right. Yeah. And in that same one, I, I don't know if it was that episode or another one where I talked about tone of voice. Right. And like how I was, I think I had a realization that I think I was more of an asshole to my husband than right. I had realized. I now have noticed a very significant difference because I recognized that my tone of voice was different. Right. And so I started reacting differently or, or in starting conversations differently. And our communication has changed within two weeks. Mm-hmm. So one little thing that I did after some, you know, self-awareness. self-awareness has significantly changed the way that we're communicating. And he has no idea what's happening, mm-hmm. which is fine yeah, because it wasn't on him. Right. It was on me. I was the one who was being an asshole. Right. But even if he was also being an asshole, just by you changing something right. is going to affect a change on him and well, how and, he then reacts back. Yeah. Sorry. That's what I mean. Like, yeah. because I changed the tone yeah. in which I was initiating conversations or responding, he then wasn't having, he was then continue on the conversation. Right. It wasn't just shut down. Mm-hmm. And it has, like I said, it's completely changed the way that we've communicated over there. But what I mean by he has no idea what's happening. He can't, he hasn't said, he hasn't verbalized. No. Oh, you're speaking so much nicer now. No. And I want to talk with you more. No, and your child's not going to necessarily notice that either. Exactly. But they're going to all of a sudden notice like a difference and that they're not, you're not reacting the same way you normally do. Yeah. So it's going to obviously then affect a change in them. Yeah. This happened when my daughter was six. Um, she was generally like a pretty easygoing child. Although my mom often reminds me of like conflict I had with her. And I don't really recall her being that difficult. But I love that we memory wash. Yeah. Yes. I'm like, no, she was easy. When she was six, I do remember her not being easy. And my son was three at the time. And we, my husband and I worked opposite shifts. I worked during the day. I would come home. We'd high five. He'd go off to work. And I got the glorious time of day of making supper, feeding them supper, doing something after supper, and then getting them ready for bed. Right. Favorite, favorite time. That is historically known as when children are the most well-behaved. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) It's not called arsenic hour. 
arsenic, in a negative way. Arsenic hour. Yeah. I've never heard that term. Really? No. Witching hour. Yep. Yeah. Arsenic hour. Yeah. Fierce. So at the age of six, she began to pretty heavily push buttons and decided that, you know, the bedtime routine and aspect, she was not going to listen. So I do particularly remember one night. So this was a pattern of me yelling, screaming, and then she'd go to bed and I'd feel super awesome about myself and about how that went. And one night it, it had escalated and she was in the bathroom. I still remember this. She's probably supposed to be brushing her teeth. She might've said something or just not been doing anything. And I smacked her on the butt. And it didn't even help the rest of the evening go smoother. Like bedtime routine still wasn't going that well. But now I have just hit my child Mm -hmm. and felt like the biggest asshole in the entire world. Mm -hmm. So the next day I'm like, okay, this can't happen. Like that was not okay. You know, that's not okay. That did not teach her anything. It just now you were trying to make her feel as bad as you were in that moment. Good for you. Yay, you did it. Congratulations. <laughs> Congratulations. Everybody's miserable. Everybody's miserable. And you just hit your kid. So I read, I had a book at home. Again, we talked about picking pieces. It's not a book I loved, reading cover to cover. It was Judy Arnall's book, uh, Discipline Without Distress. I particularly enjoyed one chapter out of the book. And that was great. It was chapter five, I think it was called, uh, When Good Parents Get Angry. Right. I'm like, okay, this is what I need <laughs> right now. <laughs> I feel I still, like this resonates in this moment. Yes. I'm like, I am good parent. I am. Man, am I pissed off. And so one of the strategies was do the opposite of what your child's expecting to do. Right. So the next night, same thing. She's kicking up and this is not going well. And my three-year-old was a shitty sleeper anyway. Like, it's just awesome. And instead of yelling, which would have been my go-to, I went and gave her a hug. Mm. And it was a proper hug. I didn't have her in a headlock or a sleeper hold. A bear hug, squeezing the breath out of her lungs. No, she could still breathe. (laughs) Uh, But the look of shock on that little kid's face. Right. It's like, what is happening? (laughs) She lost. She thought I'd lost my fucking mind. I'm sure of it. Yeah. Her life is flashed before her eyes. She says, this is it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. This is how it all ends. Yeah. My mom has officially gone completely crazy. Yeah. Yeah. No, I hugged her and, you know, for like 20 seconds kind of thing. And holy crap, did it change the situation. Mm. Calmed everything down. So again, in that moment, I'm like, okay, she's not the problem. You are. Right. And you need to react differently. And was it smooth sailing every night after that? No. But that had such an impact that moment on me that it acted as such a powerful reminder going forward of, okay, don't go back to old habits. Mm -hmm. Remember what happened that night. How important it was to stay calm. And, you know, how do you want to teach her? How do you want to teach her that this the routine's going to happen and without yelling and screaming right. and possibly hitting her on the butt again. No, that's, that's absolutely fair. And I think that there's a bigger lesson in that you've taught her or you're teaching her at that time how to deal with her own conflict. Mm-hmm. Because isn't that really what we're trying to do is we're raising our children, yes, you know, to, to 
fit within the family and we're, you know, to have them be little mini me's of us. And we get all the Instagram photos and we get to do the sitting on Santa's lap. And there's all those moments, right? right? But really what we're trying to do is raise them so that they can function in society, be a, a productive part of society, not end up, you know, in an undesirable state, whatever you decide as Mm -hmm. a parent that is for you, whatever that level is. And so now she could possibly go into school. She's already six. She was six. She's already in school. But the next time she goes into a situation where there's conflict, she's not going to, you know, pull up her hand and smack this kid. Or if she's not getting what she wants, she's not going to do that because she now has other ways of coping because she's seen you figure out other ways to cope. And really, isn't that kind of what the goal is here? Yeah. You just said, I'm smiling because you said she's not getting what she wants. When you think about it, that's why we end up losing our mind. So it's like an adult tantrum. Yes. Your child's not doing something. You're not getting what you want. Right. So you're like, oh, stupid kid, you're not doing what I want. So now I'm going to hit you. And we might have people listening thinking, well, spanking works. And they're not wrong. It works in stopping the behavior immediately. Absolutely. Immediately. Yep. However, I think you need to consider the possible long-term outcomes of that. Right. So, yeah. If you've, like, I hit my kid once. She's okay. She's gotten (laughs) over it, I'm pretty sure. It's those repeated, like if that is your primary method, and I'm going to say of punishment because it is not discipline, that is going to have long-term effects on your child. Sure. Not to mention how you are, in fact, teaching them how to deal with conflict or not getting what they want. Yeah. Oftentimes we would hear, well, I was spanked. And I turned out fine. And I turned out fine. Except here you are spanking a child because you don't have the emotional regulation s- skills. Yeah, you didn't learn the skills. To be able to, to do that. So would you do that in, in a workplace? Right. If somebody... <laughs> Can you imagine? <laughs> okay, well, you laugh, but I have been spanked in a workplace. Fuck off. You have not. Yes, I have. Spanked? Yes, you were there. You weren't actually there when it happened, but you what? were there. So we were having it. I was having a discussion with a grandma who had brought her kid to a class. Okay. And she said, I spanked them. And I said, oh, well, tell me more about that. Well, I spanked my children, so I'm going to spank my grandchildren. And I'm fairly certain the look of my face was enough for her to then need to justify her spanking was showing me by spanking me how hard she spanks her grandchildren. <laughs> I do not remember this. And I was in complete shock. Obviously. Complete shock. Because I just got spanked by another adult <laughs> who was proving to me that spanking is fine. And it was not in the bedroom. <laughs> it was not. In, I did not enjoy it. It was. It was. Humiliating. It was. It was humiliating. But I. It was interesting. It was, I think it was, I look at it and be like, that is super embarrassing for you. Both of you though. Right. Like, and, and I wasn't thing. humiliated. I was shocked. <laughs> and I was a little, like, I was really like, this is something that you're okay with doing. You're okay with spanking another human <laughs> who you literally met 
less than half an hour ago in public in front of other people with small children in the space. So then you're wondering what the hell happens behind closed doors. Yeah. 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 Well, that's that. There's that as well. Yes. Yeah. But yeah. So she's raised her children by spanking them. She now is taking care of this, her grandchild and is okay with spanking them. So it makes me wonder you know, talking about spanking in the workplace. (laughs) How does she function? Is she, are these types of people high drama people? Are they the ones who immediately don't get what they're asking for or aren't getting what they're expecting? And knowing that hitting another adult isn't okay, then make a fuss and make Mm. a stink about how they're not getting what they want. And, you know, I, I often wonder how people like that deal Right in with not getting yeah. cheese on your that cheeseburger be, that at McDonald's. Would be a really interesting, like, um, study a research. Project. So, if we were to do a study on women and men in the workplace, mm-hmm. and those who cause a lot of conflict, the ones who cause the conflict, or what about customers, too? Uh, yeah. It's because I, we were in Canmore, and this guy was losing it on probably the fourteen or fifteen year old behind the counter yeah he's a real because man. there were onions on his fucking cheeseburger yeah what a man what a strong manly man thank like, goodness he got to exude all of his testosterone on this small teenager young teenager yeah who made an onion mistake yeah now imagine if that person had rear-ended this guy right like th- this is what i wonder because they have so such poor regulation skills, are they the reason we have these really ridiculous things happening in our adult lives? Are these the drama people? Are so, these the... So then you're curious as to like going back, like did they just never learn healthy... Coping skills? Coping skills and, reg- and, and regulation skills. Regulation, yeah. So they're just constantly dysregulated. Probably. I don't know. Yeah, I that's mean, interesting. I am curious about that actually. Yeah, because I know a handful of people who are just constantly in a state of causing conflict. Mm-hmm. And it seems like sometimes for, just for the sake of causing conflict. Sometimes. And, and it's like, and even if it's something that's happened to them, right? Like the, the their basement flooded. Mm-hmm. Well, oh my God, well, their basement flooded. And it was probably somebody else's fault. And now they have to do this. And now they have to do that. And they have to pay insurance. And they have to get somebody in to fix the flooring. Like, it's just everything is such a big deal. Right. It does make me wonder Hmm. if it's, I mean, if we take away any type of, you know, possible mental distress that they might be having. Maybe they suffer from regular anxiety. Maybe they have a generalized anxiety disorder. Maybe they have depression. Those those probably play into it. But if you take away those, is this a person who just never really learned how to regulate their emotions? Possibly. Probably. I'm going to say probably, not just possibly. I'm curious. It does totally make sense. So what we'd like to know from drama people, from mm-hmm. high drama people, would you say that you are good at regulating your emotions? In a healthy way. Yes. I guess just regulating them. It would be healthy if you just were able to if regulate were able them. To regulate them. So if you identify as a high drama person, 
let us know. Do high drama people identify as high drama oh, people? They friggin' know they're high drama people. But would they admit to it? Mm. Okay. Mm. Better question. <laughs> For those of you who have a high drama person in your life. Yes. Would you say that they have good emotional regulation skills? Yeah, that is a good question. Also, as I'm saying this and identifying some of those people in my life, I'm growing a little empathy for them. Mm. And here's why. If they were never given an opportunity to learn as a young person how to regulate their uh, their emotions, that's not great. No, it's not. And it makes me feel a little more sensitive to the fact that they're living in this constant state of emotional dysregulation. Right. Because it's the only thing they knew that that might be where they're comfortable and anywhere else is not great. And I want to be a little more patient with them because as little baby drama queens or baby drama kings, they didn't get the emotional regulation support that they should have been getting. Right. I also, the question that popped into my mind as well is I'm curious as to so if you were spanked growing up or you are a spanker or you're just sticking your kid in time out all the time mm-hmm. or whatever, like your intention is kind of like to teach them in a, in, in a more, I'm going to stop this behavior any way I can. Right. What your relationship is. So if you're an adult now and that's how you were raised, what's your relationship like with your parents now? And if you're a parent who's doing this, stop and think... What relationship are you hoping to have with your child when they're an adult? Truth. Right? Yeah. Because as, as, you know, said earlier, if the goal is to get them to be successful, functioning parts of society, my goal also is to transition from being their parent, mentor, guide to being my kid's friends. Yeah. As an adult. I mean, I'll always be their parent. Let's not, yeah. you know, ever, I'll never give up that title. No. But it would be nice to know that they want to continue to have a relationship with me because we have a good relationship, not because, not just because I'm their mom. Because you're a blood relative. Yeah. And there's, yeah. This, there's this societal obligation yeah. to maintain relationships with people, even if you don't want to. So I'm wondering, because... I- I mean, if you think of the long-term consequences of punishment, it can lead to resentment. It can lead to wanting to get revenge. It can lead to rebellion as a teenager. So you've got a little child that is being punished. So now they're going to be sneaky and rebel. I'm sure there's more. Those are like the top. Lying. Yeah. Constantly lying. Because telling the truth is going to get you in trouble. You might as well see if you can get out of it. Yeah. By telling a lie. Yeah. Yeah. So there are just not great things that come out of it. So yes, it it is successful in stopping the behavior. Again, that teaching piece then never happens. So your child, oh, what would be a common childhood misdemeanor? A misdemeanor. (laughs) (laughs) Like a preschool misbehavior. Well, I mean, anything could be. Well, let's say they hit another child. I'm going to say they hit another child. Oh. Yes. And the reason I'm picking that one is because, yes, it's common, yes. especially when children don't have the verbal skills yet or they haven't learned how to express their emotions right. appropriately. 
And B, I'm picking that one because it evokes such a strong reaction from the parent whose child hit because you're so embarrassed. Yeah. So now you have big feelings. You're feeling embarrassed. You're feeling angry. You're like, oh my God, this makes me look bad. So the punishment parent might yell, might grab their child. They might end up spanking their child. Mm -hmm. And let's say for a moment to the child who hit is also quite upset. That's why they hit. So they're having big feelings at the same time. So you're matching them with big feelings, Mm -hmm. which just ends up with a big ball of big feelings (laughs) and nowhere to put them or appropriate way to deal with them right the goal i would think is yes you want to stop the behavior but then you want to teach them what you want them to do next time so it is not spoiling them because i know we might have some listeners going oh my Mm. god so now you're gonna sit with them and hug them and hold them if that's what your child wants and calm them down and I'm going to say yeah that's exactly what you're going to do first you got to calm yourself down if you are feeling embarrassed and angry Mm -hmm. and it's not wrong if that's how you feel yeah but then the bonus is the discipline part gets to happen yeah so now you're both calm you've both taken some breaths you've both just sat quietly maybe the physical contact whatever and now that you're both calm and you can use the thinking parts of your brains again, right. you can talk about what happened mm-hmm. and what you want them to do differently next time. Well, this is also a really great space to to mention it because we have covered like apologies and, and whatnot. So even like it's okay here in this instance as the parent of the hitter mm-hmm. to apologize to the hitty and the hitty's parents. Sure. And you can be like, I am, I am so sorry. I, I like, are you all right? I'm going to deal with this and then go deal with it. Absolutely. And this is also a really great time to find out what was the cause of frustration for your child. Absolutely. And that's where the punishment piece is often lacking. It's always lacking. There's not a sense of understanding where the child gets to say, this is why I was so mad. Yeah. And once they get heard then it's easier then for you to identify, okay, you know what? This is a trigger for my kid. So now I'm watching them. I'm watching these two kids play in the sandbox. I see that there's three shovels, two green, one red. And I know my kid is going to want that red shovel. Right. And I know that that other kid has it. How am I going to help manage? Right. So there's so much proactivity to it. Exactly. And that's, I mean, we're not going to get into strategies specifically, right? but That is one of the strategies, right? It's like, okay, I am very aware of a potential conflict in this upcoming scenario, the two green shovels and the one red one. I'm going to have a conversation with my child before going into this environment as to what the expectations are and get them to actually tell me what they're going to do and what your expectation is that they are going to do. Yeah. Um, Being proactive is so difficult. Because we're, we don't get to live in the moment very often. So we're, we're constantly making sure that we're, we're, and this is going to sound really stupid because I don't believe in snowplow parenting, Mm. but we're clearing a path to help our children be successful. Right. And 
I'm not clearing a path of saying I'm going to remove that kid or I'm going to go grab the red right. shovel before that kid grabs it to give it to my kid. Thank you. Cause that's what I was going to clarify. You're not solving the problem. I am not them. solving the problem. I am helping my child understand that there could be a problem because I've already assessed. I already know that my kid's going to lose his mind because we've already had this conversation. Right. And so I'm going to say, look, look, Jim, little Jim Bob, little Jim Boberoni. My favorite name in the whole world. <laughs> Jim Boberoni <laughs> Jr. There's two green shovels and one red shovel. And your little friend over there, what happens if they take the red shovel? So you can have this pre, mm-hmm. but it's exhausting. And you have to be on high alert. Like when you have a child who's reactive, you have to be on high alert. Or, you- or, when you're starting to make some of these changes, it's so much more work because it's not part of your natural exactly habit. Yeah. Right. So yeah, two reasons it would be high, right? So you have a kid like my middle one who is not confrontational, but is, but we have high conflict because what his plan is right. Doesn't align with, you know, 99% of the world's plan. Or you have a, a, a parent who's trying these new strategies and it's a lot of work to stay on top of them right. and to start implementing them and doing it in a way that is working. Yeah. It's very difficult. And and I do suggest, and we have, you and I both suggested to parents in this, because we've already mentioned that the first step is to have a plan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Write it out. Sure. Post it. Do some point forms. Something so that in the moment when you do notice like, oh my God, my feelings are getting a little much, that you don't have to think, you don't have to plan. You've yeah. got, you can just look yep. and be like, okay, this is what, this is what I'm going to do. Yeah. Um, Nobody says you can't have a cheat sheet for parenting. Oh my God. You need a million cheat sheets. <laughs> Post it's all over the place. Uh, but yeah, I mean that it's funny because I think a lot of society and I even think of government policies and whatnot mm. are very reactive. Heck yeah. And it's really hard to get people to think about the prevention piece. They're like, well, it's, yeah, it's just, it boggles my mind. Is this a little mind. bit of a bone of contention for you? Prevention it's, versus intervention? It's huge. Yeah. And discipline is prevention. Correct. Because you're teaching them. Yep. And punishment is reactive. Yes. Because you're reacting to your own emotions without a plan. And it seems like you're getting good results because you spank that child, they suddenly stop what they're doing, and you're like, boom, result. And it's quick and dirty. Yep, done. In done. that moment, in, in, in that exact moment, your problem has been solved. Mm-hmm. Yeah, another Barbara quote I love is that parenting is not an efficient job. No shit. It's not a job you can do from another room or from across the room. Um, you need to be in front of your child. Mm-hmm. You need to be present. You need to put your phone down. And you need to, in order to teach them effectively, you need to be present and in front of their face and emotionally present as well. Yeah, which is, it's, that's a lot. It is. And you're going to screw up. Yes. That's the other thing. Like if you are trying and you're trying to change things, like give yourself a break. Um, You're not going to do this all of the time. And if you slip up once in a while, like it's not going to have huge long-term detrimental effects. Right. 
But again, it's, it goes back again to that, that self-awareness piece mm-hmm. and your perception of things, which you brought up, are you the problem? Are you the one who can change and then affect change? Or do you really think that your child is the problem and you need to fix them? Right. Because that in itself, if you can flip your perspective and reframe it, that's huge. And that can switch from day to day, depending on your own mood and your own mental capabilities for that day, right? But in general, do you look at it as though your child is a problem? Mm -hmm. Or do you go, I don't have all the answers and I need more help to be able to deal with this. Exactly. Yeah. We kind of bounced around a little bit. No, we didn't. (laughs) (laughs) Were we like laser focused and only talked about the specific topic? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. That is so like us. Yeah. But when we're talking about the difference between discipline and punishment, what does it really come down to? Intention. Is your intention to uh, not only stop the behavior, but is your intention to teach your child and to teach not only teach them what behavior you expect but teach them regulation skills or is your intention to make them feel bad because Mm -hmm. you feel bad and you feel like the only way to stop the behavior is to instill the fear of god into them and, and and to make them feel bad yeah that to me anyway and it's reactive so it's prevention versus reaction as well absolutely that to me is the biggest difference excellent all right. So um, you told me earlier you have a little uh, story that's sort of along these lines. Well, it's not really along these lines. I know we, we talked about, you know, finding quotes or remembering things our kids said. And this is just one. Um, it really isn't related to discipline versus punishment. But it's one of my favorite quotes of my daughter. And she wasn't that young. She was probably like 12 or 13. And so my son is three years younger than her. And he was going on and on talking. He loves his sister. And he was going on and on trying to get her attention, talking to her about something. And he got really mad. He's like, you're not even listening to me. And she said, it's not that I'm not listening, Liam. It's just that I really don't care. (laughs) And I'm like, oh, my God. Like, how many times would you have loved to say that to somebody at work? Well, at work to my own kids. Yeah. After yeah. I've watched them oh my do the God. same, you know, flip on the monkey bars yeah. 97,000 times. Yeah. yeah. I just don't care. I just don't care. I just don't care. Wow. Good job. Yeah. Wow. Wow. That was even better than the last one. Like yeah. there's only the last 59 so long you can do that for. That is interesting. And maybe we should do a little topic on like <laughs> truth and honesty. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Can I say my parent confession? Yeah. Okay. So this one is really quite hilarious. And the reason I love it is because as a parent, we become very adaptable at just trying to get things done. Yeah. So this one is, sometimes when I need the little to entertain himself so I can cook dinner, I take a handful of Cheerios and throw them on the kitchen floor. (laughs) takes at least 20 minutes for him to locate and eat them all. I figure the germs boost his immune system. It's a win-win. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> Love it. Yes. So that's fantastic. Maybe not something she would tell her girlfriends, <clears throat> her mom friends, but... Uh, Love know. it. Yeah. It's just funny. Resourceful. Mm-hmm. 
So we're going to be back again to do this another day. Yes, ma'am. Excellent. Talk to you See soon. you later. Bye. Bye.